What do you reckon? Simon and Matthew are going to come back? I told them to come back down after the movie started. No, it's all right. They won't come back, will they? <laughs> Too much to hope for. <laughs> so take a look at the, the picture of the flower on the screen. Um, this is similar to what a dog or a cat might see. What, what colour is the flower, do you reckon? Yellow. <laughs> so cats and dogs see very little colour. The world to them is much more grayscale than it is to humans. We can see this visible reality that dogs and cats just can't see. So this is what the flower looks like to a human. It is yellow indeed, what I Neil. <laughs> it's great to be human, isn't it? Someone who can see reality as it is. But you know what? There's more to this flower than what we see. This is what the flower would look like to a bee. pretty amazing, isn't it? All around us there are electromagnetic waves flying around at the speed of light. And humans can see only certain frequencies of these electromagnetic waves, which we of course call light. Visible light occurs, accounts for only certain frequencies of electromagnetic waves that we see. Bees, on the other hand, can see some extra frequencies, some of the ultraviolet frequency the bees can see. Because flowers reflect ultraviolet light, then bees see all sorts of other patterns in flowers that we just don't see, like these patterns. They're pretty amazing, aren't they? I know, I know. (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it, Sasha? There's this reality outside in our garden that exists that we don't even know about, that we just can't see. This unseen reality isn't something that's just confined to the physical world either. According to the Bible, there's actually an unseen spiritual reality that most of us don't see and aren't even aware of. We get a sense of this underlying spiritual reality because we we feel emotions connected to it at times. Emotions like the joy we have in the presence of the Holy Spirit, or emotions like cold fear we have when, when something evil is around us. Sometimes people have experiences that just can't be explained physically when they've sensed the presence of God, or an angel, or opposite of that some sort of evil spiritual being. The Bible talks about this whole other unseen reality, a spiritual world that exists that we don't see on a daily basis. But just because we don't see it, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, that it isn't there. Of course, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be sceptical when someone tells us about, un, about spiritual beings or forces. We should always have our radar up so that we aren't taken in by superstitions or nonsense or charlatans. But on the flip side, we shouldn't dismiss the reality of this unseen spiritual world either. So the famous Christian author and theologian C.S. Lewis spoke about this spiritual world with this quote, and he was speaking specifically about the evil spiritual world. There are two equal and opposite errors into which which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist and a magician alike with the same delight. That quote from C.S. Lewis is a good one. It's a good truth to ground Christians like me who can be too sceptical. Likewise, it also should act as a warning to Christians who become overly interested in any sort of evil spiritual power. And it's a good reminder that, biblically speaking, there is this whole unseen reality, this whole unseen spiritual realm that exists. 
On the one hand, there's a really good spiritual realm, a perfect underlying spiritual realm that exists of light. The Bible speaks about this, about heavenly beings of powers, of, of messengers from God, of angels. And of course, it speaks about God himself as spirit. That's what Jesus said in John 4. God is spirit. And because we're created in God's image, we have a spiritual aspect to us as well, even if we don't see it. And because we're spiritual beings, through a connection with the living God, by being in a right relationship with him as adopted children of God, because of this, we can find real, lasting peace, spiritual peace and spiritual eternal life. This is a perfect, beautiful, pure and good spiritual reality in God's presence. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's an eternal reality for you. Although it's in a sense hidden from us right now, in this life, we have been and we are being saved from this world of death to an eternal spiritual world, spiritual life with God. And we see reflections of this good spiritual world every day in our lives, in the beauty of a sunrise, the warmth of a bonfire, the cool mountain stream, the kindness of a neighbour, or the love of a mother. We see it when people share and give and serve. These are things we see that are reflections of the good spiritual world, of the beautiful, greater spiritual world out there. (laughs) These are reflections of God's power, his creativity, his goodness, his love. But this unseen spiritual world isn't all good. There's the other side to it, isn't there? There's a darker side where light is shunned and God is hated. It's a realm of evil spirits who hate God, a realm of Satan who seek to destroy life and usurp God. It's not something that I really understand well, but I know it's a reality. It's a dark reality that is described in the Bible. Jesus himself encountered it frequently and he showed us it can be overcome. This dark realm casts shadows throughout our our world, shadows of hatred, of evil, of greed, of murder, of violence. It's a dark and evil enemy. And according to Ephesians, it really is our enemy. This is what Ephesians 6 says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's really important that we, we don't think about people as our enemies in life. People, flesh and blood, they're not our enemies. Even if they are seeking to destroy us, every human is valuable. We're each one of us created in the image of God. And it can be really damaging if we ever think about a person as our enemy, even when they're attacking us. If we go down that path of thinking, we let unforgiveness and hatred enter into our hearts. The real enemy is not flesh and blood, but this unseen, dark and evil spiritual realm that fosters hatred, that delights in suffering, that seeks to destroy God's good creation. According to Ephesians, this is our enemy. And it's working against God's plan of salvation. It wants you to lose your trust in Jesus. It wants you to turn away from God. It wants to snatch life away from God's children. That's why it's our enemy. There's a fight going on 
And this enemy threatens to overwhelm us. Many of us know or love someone whose life has been snatched away by this dark spiritual power. Nicole and I have a good friend. And a few years ago, she was at that point of making a leap of faith. She was thinking about life's meaning. She was beginning to recognize the reality of her creator and beginning to see that his name is Jesus. Her kids were also exploring this world with her as well. They were standing on this path, ready to walk across that bridge of faith and become part of God's family. And that's when opposition raised its head. Her dad, who she'd always had a tough relationship with, caught wind of her thinking about God. And as he was and is a very vocal, strong atheist, he began to exert pressure on her. Not, not the good sort of pressure that encourages a person to think for himself and come to her own opinion. No, he exerted the sort of pressure that's bullying, the bullying kind that says you're an idiot if you don't listen to me. He applied that sort of pressure that shouts, I don't want anything to do with you if you don't listen to me and do what I say and disagree with me. Her husband too. Although not in such a cruel way, he made it clear to her that if she became a Christian, she was switching off her brain. It was the same, as other, same with other friends of hers as well. Before she knew it, she was surrounded by people pressuring her not to become a Christian. The power of darkness was mounting an attack on her. And in the face of that pressure, she gave ground. She couldn't stand. She fell. She turned away from the God who would give her eternal life. That's our enemy. That evil spiritual realm that wants to keep us away from the light and to remain in darkness. And it's a fight for the life. It's a fight for eternal life. That's why it's so important to stand firm in our faith. We're like soldiers standing against this tide of evil that wants us to fall away from God's light. And that's why in this short passage in Ephesians 6 that we just read, Paul wrote four times about standing firm in faith. In verse 11, take your stand against the strategies of the devil. In verse 13, so that you'll be able to resist or stand against the enemy. And again in verse 13, you will be standing firm And then in verse 14, therefore, stand your ground. This is the ultimate fight, a fight for the life. Not life in the physical world, but eternal life with God. And so it's worth standing firm. The problem is, it's hard to stand firm. It's hard to remain faithful to Jesus in the presence of pressure when it's building up. And pressure is going to build up. It will build up. In everyone's life, there are going to be tough times that push us to give up and abandon God. But in those times, on that evil day, we can stand firm with the armour God provides. As Paul wrote, we can put on God's armour so you will be able to resist the enemy in the times of evil. And after the battle, you will be standing firm. Every one of us is going to face an evil day where our faith is tested. Every one of us can stand, though, because God's given us the grace and the strength to stand. He's given us the armour we need for the battle, but it's up to us to put it on. There's a real active sense in Ephesians 6 of us doing our bit to stand firm. God gives the armour, but it's useless if we don't wear it. 
In Paul's day, the soldiers he would have seen were Roman soldiers. And so I imagine he was thinking of a Roman soldier as he described this armour of God. Roman soldiers carried a large shield covered in leather to protect them from attack. They'd link up their shields with fellow soldiers to further protect each other. Just a good image for the church. They would soak the shield in water to extinguish fiery arrows. They also wore iron helmets and armour to protect the head and the chest. And of course, they did a lot of travelling, so they needed to protect their feet with sandals. Sandals which had a nail facing downwards in the sole to improve their grip and keep them grounded under pressure. There was also a large belt of apron of leather protecting their abdomen and pelvis. And of course, they carried a double-edged sword for the fight. Every part of them was protected with armour designed to help them stand their ground in battle. So although Paul was probably thinking about Roman soldiers, he was also a scholar in the Old Testament. And so he was probably also remembering passages in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that described the salvation that God brings to his people. Isaiah 59.17, in fact, uses phrases almost exactly the same as Ephesians 6. And it speaks about God himself bringing redemption with these words. He, God, put on righteousness as his breastplate and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. Isaiah here, of course, is speaking not about a physical rescue, but about a spiritual salvation. That's the core of Isaiah's message in the Old Testament. God saves us from sin and its ultimate consequence, death. So, yes, a soldier fights a physical battle for physical salvation, but Paul wasn't writing about a physical reality and physical battles. He was writing about a spiritual battle. And so the armour he's talking about isn't physical, obviously, This Bible passage in Ephesians speaks about spiritual defences. Things like truth, righteousness, peace, faith or trust in God. Being sure of our salvation and a knowledge of and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. That's the armour that's going to give us strength that we need to stand in dark times. Firstly, there's truth. Everything good ultimately starts with truth, doesn't it? Truth extinguishes lies. It frees us from the captivity of lies in our lives. Jesus said, You're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And of course, the greatest truth of all is Jesus himself. That's what Jesus claimed in John 14:6: I am the way, the truth, and the life. Righteousness, that's what holds us together, binding us to God. To be righteous means to live in right ways, to live with integrity. And in this, in righteousness, real life is found. Proverbs 12, 28 in the Old Testament shares this truth. Life is found in the path of righteousness. In its pathway, there is no death. But righteousness is more than just living an upright life of integrity. In the Bible, righteousness also means to be rightly connected with people and with God. Righteousness is spoken about as being in a right relationship with God. And this righteousness isn't actually even achieved by us, in fact. It's something that God brings. His righteousness is what saves us. He makes us righteous. When we accept this and embrace his righteousness, we find protection against the evil that would pull us away from God. Peace is also to be our armour. 
We're not to be soldiers who carry destruction with us. That's what the enemy does. But our armour is one of peace. (coughs) Peace overcomes evil. That's the way of God, isn't it? Jesus spoke about his followers going out as peaceful lambs among a world of wolves. He spoke about the blessing of being peacemakers, how peacemakers will be called children of God. (coughs) And even more significantly, Jesus himself has the title Prince of Peace. His death on the cross, his punishment according to Isaiah in the Old Testament again, is what brings us peace. That's actually the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We have peace with God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so we can take that message of peace to the world. We can hold firmly to it as truth in our hearts and that will prepare us for hard times when the pressure of darkness surrounds us. We're also called to hold up a shield, a shield of faith and trust in Jesus. When fiery arrows are flying towards us, the only way to get through is trust in Jesus, to trust his love, his salvation. These are going to protect our souls. And salvation. God has saved us from the consequences of our sins, from death. And so we have eternal life through him. Nothing can take that away. So when the evil one tempts us to sin, just like the the devil tempted Jesus, we should take heart and remember the words God has spoken to us in Scripture. When we remind ourselves of God's promises in the Bible, we can protect ourselves from the devil calling us to sin. That's how Jesus overcame temptation, and that's a model we should follow. But not just for our own protection, we can also protect others through sharing God's word with them. We're in a spiritual battle. We may not see the spiritual realm, but it is present. But we shouldn't fear it because we've got protection. God's given us what we need for protection. He's given us the armour we need. He's holding us in his hands. On the dark days where evil and sin are hurting us, where our faith's suffering, where we're suffering because of our faith, or where we're being pushed to give up our walk with Jesus, God is holding us. He's given us the armour we need to stay strong. In fact, in a way, Jesus himself is our armour. He is the truth. He's our righteousness. He's the Prince of Peace and our salvation. Jesus, the Word, become human. Jesus brings us forgiveness through the cross and he gives us strength to stand through his resurrection and he'll bring us to our eternal home. We play our part when we trust him, when we're people of peace, when we rely on his salvation and when we share his good news wherever we go. If we live like this, we will stand firm in the spiritual battles that we're in. A final point needs saying. To stand firm and to live in God's good presence, it's really important to immerse ourselves in prayer, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Prayer actually keeps us alert. It keeps us connected to God. Prayer allows us to hear God more clearly, to know Him more closely. So pray at all times, on every occasion. I know that this is something that many of us struggle to do. I I certainly do. But it's crucial that we never give up praying. Keep going at it. Persist in prayer. And when you pray, you will be putting on the armour of God and you will stand firm until the battle is won. I want to finish today's sermon with a song which I was reminded of as I prepared the sermon. Let's stand 
now and sing together, joining in prayer, be thou my vision.